AS I I attitude or attitudes of sexual integrity 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 AS I you're listening to to This is season 6 episode 34 status update 3 Social distortion, punk rock for you there. And in a uh, act of maybe some social distortion myself, this uh, Christian podcaster stopped attending church in 2018. I think in my following Jesus, I ended up following Jesus straight out of institutional religion. Right? Yes, even AC3. I still love those guys. Um, Dan and I are having lunch next week, which I'm looking forward to. So, you know, some AC3ers who may be listening, I don't know, um, may wonder why I've left the church. There was a protest that happened there during the whole uh, Willow Creek thing right like they went ahead and hosted the GLS and there was a show on that last year um but they didn't this year and AC3 has cut ties with Willow Creek Community Church which is is good news and reassuring but at the same time it's I'm still concerned about why they they had the position they did, and it kind of alarmed me. It alarmed me that I also was, you know, just kind of going to this place and going through the motions that are church. Uh, doing this podcast takes a lot of my time and energy, other projects, people I know. I know lots of pastors and, and folks who are... Um, in the healing arts, uh, to use those words. So me going to a church every Sunday and staring at the back of someone else's head while a, a guy gets up and talks about how he interprets a book of the Bible or is teaching, you know. And listen, there was a time in my story that it was very important to me and that I learned a lot from how somebody did that, right? How the Bible was interpreted through their eyes. Lots of different pastors and teachers. And I'm not, so yeah, if you're going to church, like that's great. You're getting something out of that. Um, I'm happy for you. It's just not where I'm at anymore. So the question may arise then, how do you serve the body of Christ, Russ? Um, Doing things like this. Is a big part of how I serve um, going to the pride parade and hugging LGBTQ youth is a big part of it. All right. Stuff like that. The body of Christ has. That's a whole nother show. (laughs) I tell you what. Um, But yeah, I think that. Yet that really has been my following Christ. This is something my friend John said. I, I resonated, you know. Um, I followed Christ right on out the door of the church, the institutional. Again, the church to me is family. The church to me is people. The institutional building 
that brick and mortar uh, the staff and and people I, i'm not doing that anymore and if you are I, i'm glad for you i really am i and i'm not pulling away from things I've said in the past about church on this show, because church really was incredibly important in my healing and in my transformation, especially as a guy without insurance for mental health. The church was there for me. Was it perfect? You know, was it great the way I No, it wasn't. It was a mess, but it was there and it, and it helped me on a journey. All right. So, so hear me in that. As far as the institutional church, I, I'm not standing here saying you should stay away from that. No, I'm saying quite the contrary. Be a part of a family. But be discerning. Be your own person. Ask questions. Push back if you need to. Leave that church and find one that's more loving and interested in the community and not building walls. That's important, but I'm not anti-institutional church, okay? My friend Seth was telling me about this. There was a pastor who he felt like that was really honest. This guy got up on stage and said, it might have been Ryan Meeks, actually, and said, you know, the, the object of this is to get out there in the world and to do this without having to come here and get the weekly Sunday religion fix, you know? That's maybe what Paul was talking about when he said getting us off a of baby's milk and onto real meat was being able to walk away from the bottle, you know, like cheers where everybody knows your name. I'm serious. Like, that's a good thing to be a part of community, especially if you're isolated and you don't even talk to your neighbors you're just going to work and dealing with co-workers coming home repeat that can wear on us the world is brutal but when jesus said follow me for i've overcome the world i don't think he meant do we just need to stay comfortable in this sanctuary with our christian friends you know and it can become like that it can become stagnant and people can atrophy. Communities can atrophy, especially when you're given a doctrine that says that you're a piece of crap. And, you know, that God, you, it's like it's like giving you the disease and the cure. You feel guilty and shameful because, you know, God hates you. But Jesus, you know, he's the good guy and he twisted God's arm. And, and now you're there and you know, so that they're giving you both the disease and the cure. And it's no wonder why people don't get outside. And we just kind of become content to watch the world bleed to death, to watch teenage, because of our doctrine, we're fine with gay kids who off themselves way more frequently than straight ones. And what do we do? We stand up there, oh, yeah, we we love the gays, you know. We just don't want them in here trying to spread their disease, honestly. Isn't that kind of how we see them? I say we because while I don't believe that, I'm thrown into a camp of folks who do simply by saying I'm Christian. It's no wonder millennials are leaving the church in droves. That's not the love of Christ. 
we're supposed to be a beacon. We're supposed to be a light on a hill. And, uh, yeah, again, I'm not anti-church, but how, how are we doing at that? Are you saying the church is like spiritual methadone, Russ? <laughs> I don't know, maybe. Um, as far as church, though, I might go visit my friend Chuck's church because now he's got his own building now. They were doing a thing in a in a middle school. They were setting up and tearing down, and now he's got his own building, and I might check that out. And while I disagree with my friend Chuck and am concerned for my community, I, I still love the guy, and I love the people that are in that church, even though I'm not on the same page. But it's serving... I'm not involved in the behind the scenes stuff in church as much as I, I used to be. And a big reason for that is that I don't, again, I, I get passionate and I, I would probably be teaching something that's uh, opposed to what the pastor's teaching on Sunday. And I think that that's confusing for a lot of people. Because something I've seen over the years is that people seeking real heart-level transformation after prolonged exposure to the warm, comfortable soup of going through the motions, it's not uncommon for them to go through a crisis of faith in their journey of healing. This might hurt, it's not safe, but I know that I've got to make a change. I don't care if I break, at least I'll be feeling something Cause just okay is not enough Help me fight through the nothingness of life I don't wanna go through the motions The following is an audio clip from a TED Talk by Richard Jacobson at TEDx Palo Alto in 2006, I quit going to church, and consequently, some of the most important people in my life basically disowned me. But I had to quit because I was having a crisis of faith. It wasn't so much that I was having doubts about God or doubts about church. Instead, I was having doubts about the way we do church. You see, the very first churches were just small spiritual communities of friends and neighbors that met in ordinary homes and they basically functioned like extended families. The churches we have today are more institutionalized. Legally speaking, they are more likely to be actual corporations than simple communities. They usually meet in special buildings instead of people's homes. And because of all the man-made titles and hierarchy, they often function more like companies than families. When I recognized this disconnect, I quit and I spent the next several years searching for a spiritual community that looked and functioned more like the early church. So why should this matter to anyone else? Because as I would later discover, millions of other believers were actually leaving the institutional church at the same time. Instead of going through the motions, Now this time I'm gonna let my heart defeat my mind Let your love make me whole I think I'm finally I can't 
I just not on board with it. And I, while I love Pastor Dan and and Pastor Chuck and and some of these guys, I I'm just I can't sit there and and be okay with that kind of teaching anymore. And in a lot of these churches, they make a big deal about spiritual authority and the pastor's like your dad or something, and he's got the authority and you got to listen to him and. And again, this is this is my issues, all right? I'm not saying that I'm all the authority either, but I am saying that if dad is spoon-feeding people bullshit... Now, okay, wait. That came from an angry place, didn't it, Russ, right? Speaking of being woke, <laughs> hashtag woke or whatever, um, yeah, uh, so I figured here in the car I would be a little more descriptive and, and maybe explain that emotional outburst <laughs> right there. Frustration is birthed out of unmet expectations, right? So true. And some of you maybe non-believers out there may be asking yourself, why does this matter, right? Because we're getting into meaning-making, all right? That's what spiritual communities do really well, is address the subjective. Because, again, talking about a moral situation, like impulse control or sexually compulsive behavior, you know, just bringing up the morality part of it, how is that working, right? Like, just stop doing it. That's some of religion's answers and some of the the secular world's answers. Well, the secular world says, you know, just do whatever feels good. No, no, it doesn't, all right? Some of you Christians who are listening, the reason a lot of unbelievers, to use those words, are listening is because they also are struggling with unwanted behavior. Do you you get that? And again, this is where we go back to uh, spiritual communities and why they are important. It is important to address the things below the level. Again, I see the world in layers. I've talked about that on some past shows. Um, Below the level of just behavior and morality. What is driving that, right? Getting curious about what's driving that. So we're going to go back to uh, the video because some of what's driving it is really shallow (laughs) and surfacy, all right? And that, I think, is a big part of why people are leaving a systematic institution known as the church. But just because you leave an institution... I'm not saying that that's always the best thing. So I'll, I'll address that after this clip. And I do I do enjoy this clip, all right? This is some good stuff here uh, from the TED Talk again. Any significant spiritual formation is going to require mutual participation. And just as the word discipleship indicates, For whatever reason, this reality seems lost in most of our church gatherings today. As a matter of fact, whenever I ask churchgoers, what are the main reasons you go to church? One answer that always makes the list is this, 
to get spiritually fed. Now, if you haven't heard that term, don't worry. This is church speak for sitting and listening to a sermon. Much the way we would watch a movie or watch a game, we've turned today's church gatherings into mere spectator sports. The thinking is, by merely listening to weekly sermons, my spiritual life is going to be somehow strengthened, even though most of us are going to forget what the sermon is about two days later. Now, we already know that sitting and eating won't make us physically healthy. So why would we think something similar would make us spiritually healthy? Spiritually speaking, we don't just need to eat, we also need to exercise. Since there's very little participation in today's church gatherings, when exactly do I get to exercise my calling? If all I do is sit and listen to information without any application, how am I expected to ever grow in my own unique spiritual gifts? I'm not trying to diminish the idea of a church shepherd spiritually feeding the flock. But is this all that's required for being a good shepherd? Furthermore, doesn't the institutional church model look less like shepherding sheep and more like raising veal? For those who don't know, raising veal starts with selecting a calf and putting it in a special box. The very purpose of this box is to make sure the calf always gets fed but never gets any exercise. This calf is known as a veal crate, and it will be, uh, this box is known as a veal crate, and it will be the calf's whole world for its entire life. From the moment it's placed in the crate, the calf isn't just fed, but overfed. Yet it's never allowed to exercise because that would build up muscle, which would prevent it from becoming tender and tasty veal one day. And so by the time the calf is ready for slaughter, it has grown completely dependent upon its box. As a matter of fact, by now it is so fat and weak that if the box is ever removed, the calf can't even stand on its own anymore. Now, I'm not insinuating all church-going believers are spiritually weak or immature. As a matter of fact, I have the good fortune of knowing many believers who have sincerely devoted their lives to genuinely loving their neighbors. But the question I'm asking is this. Did they learn to love this way because of the institutional church model or in spite of it. Some of the things that I would like to bring awareness to is not just the institutional church, but also the home church and some of the issues that I would have with Mr. Jacobson's, you know, unchurching, which is great, like an honest family-like fellowship, right, to use that word. Um, but then there's bringing in the idea of discipleship, and this is something Christians both in the home church and in the, you know, institutional church. They're going to talk about making disciples. And what does that mean? Because some of, again, some of realizing doing this kind of ministry, to use that word, over the years, it starts with, there's something I've realized 
a big time. That there's again, there's layers to this thing. There's layers to the word discipleship, which really means self-control or self-discipline is what we're after with that, right? It's not some set of rules. Again, I've said this a lot of times, but putting it in the context of making disciples or in church speak discipleship, um, discipleship is self, again, self-discipline. This is one of the fruits of the Spirit, right? Having self-control, self-discipline. And to start, all right, to, to even start, you got to get to the truth of your being, which means that all of the stuff that's in the dark, it needs to be exposed in the light. And I know that's hard, man. I know it is. It was incredibly difficult for me. It will turn your life upside down. But again, Jesus said, what? The truth will set you free. And when you're free, unbound and unburdened by secrets and things hidden in the dark, when your armor can come off. And that's what it is. Again, that Pink Floyd the wall analogy, right? This this wall that we've built. Uh, Paul Young's the shack. This facade that we put around our heart to protect us from injury. The harsh rays of the afternoon truth, right? Once we become unshackled, then we can start to exercise our self-control and self-discipline. Because without without that, it's still just being shackled and chained by secrets. It's taking that double life and, and, and exposing it to the world. It, this is disinfectant, all right? This is how we stop rampant disease when it comes to creating chemicals that disinfect sunlight in and of itself, scientifically speaking and metaphorically speaking, is a disinfectant. And without telling the truth, discipleship, to use that word, is impossible. All right. That's the way I see it. And listen, while I may like him and we may even be buds. See, if God the Father is angry, bloodthirsty, using that to settle a debt, the truth will set you free. At worst, has this relational component of separation. See, when there's no separation, there's a lot more freedom to start. It reminds me of that line from the Shawshank Redemption, right? It's a simple choice, really. Get busy living or get busy dying. This is about not necessarily getting busy, but choosing the path 
of life, of starting. I'm starting. Again, 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 starting. And as usual, I'm starting in a place of pain, in a place of uncertainty, in a place of faith and of patience. Embracing my doubt, letting go of some of my fear, and trusting that I have not been abandoned or forsaken. Original sin, according to Rush Shaw, all right, some of my own understanding philosophically and theologically of, of, of you know, someone asked me, like, challenged me with that. Okay, how do you define sin, Russ? Um, sin is the coveting of absence, all right? The coveting of absence, the, the, the coveting of, you know, I'm alone, I've been abandoned, and it's someone's to blame. It's where some of my, uh, some of my atheist friends, you know, have taught me so much about myself and my own journey, and, and also it's helped me see uh, not just why some people become atheists, obviously, um, but that that idea that I'm mad at God, like God doesn't exist and I'm mad at him. I'm really angry at him. Um, I've never got to a place where I, I, I came close to a place where God doesn't exist. I've had too much weird uh, evidence in my life that there, there's a God. But being angry at him, he can handle that. God can handle that. And that that's not absence right? You can't be mad at someone who's not there or doesn't exist. You can be mad at someone that's not in your presence, but that doesn't exist. That's something else. Um, forgiveness is, and I apologize if this sounds over philosophical, but to me, forgiveness is letting you into the room. When you have that feeling that God's not there or that there is no God and you're angry at that that absence. It's it's you being present in the room with the absence. Being present with the anger and the betrayal, the doubt. Feel lonely when you feel lonely. To be in it. Those feelings are real. But realizing that you're in there, that you're in it, that you're letting yourself into the room where the absence is. Because listen, when someone else walks into the room, what happens to the absence? It's gone. It no longer exists. You're there with another presence other than your own. There's this line in the book, The Shack, where um, Jesus says to Mac that he says, you notice that when you're in the most pain, you tend to automatically assume that I'm not there with you. Not there in the room. 
with whatever you're going through, I, I challenge you to find a quiet place and sit in it. All right? Sit in that quiet place with all the fear and the doubt and the anxiety. Just sit in the quiet and breathe. Deep breaths. And then imagine with your eyes closed, the, the walls of that room falling open like a box and the sun beaming down on you and feel the warm energy as it radiates onto your body. And imagine that being love. It's, it's radiating, it's love, it's out from the outside radiating on you. There's no more abandonment. You're not you're not abandoned. You feel that. And for those of you who dare, just ask, God is that you? You know? God is that you? me going through really tough times um, but I'm a wealthy man I got a roof over my head I got food in my belly I got someone in my life who cares about me I've got good friends and I am rich because of that can let my gratitude in in that space you know when I feel like I'm in a tiny closet and the doors are shut it's hard to breathe reminding my own ego that I haven't been abandoned That's the roots of repenting of sin, to use those religious words. It changes everything. I love you guys. Thanks for listening. Bye. Love deals the currency of life.